John chapter 16 is where we're going to be if you have one of our Bible, page 752, and I just kind of want to catch us up real quickly as we get ready to open the Word. So for the last few weeks, you know, one of the things that we've been wrestling with as a church family is, is what would happen if we were more than a group of people gathered to consume songs and sermons? What if we were a group of people who were not only filled by the Spirit of God, but were being led by the Spirit of God in such a way that our lives would start reflecting the fullness of who Jesus is in us, among us, around us, before us, so that when people kind of come into contact with our lives, they no longer just go, man, that's, that's you, a really nice Southern person. Instead, they go, that is a man, that is a woman that has been filled by the power and the Spirit of God for the glory of God. So for the last few weeks, we've just kind of been dreaming and wrestling with it, going, man, what would happen if we as a community came to Christ and say, Jesus, do whatever you want to do among us so that your spirit would be uh, more in charge here as we gather and more in charge here as we scatter so that Jesus Christ would be glorified uh, in our city and way beyond. And so we've been going through this journey the last couple of weeks. We've been looking at John 14, 15, and 16, which is a record of Jesus' conversation, the last conversation that he had with his disciples before the cross. And this conversation in John 14, 15, and 16 didn't take place on a Sunday morning. It didn't take place in a classroom. It wasn't in a lecture hall. This was a conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples as they walked to the Garden of Gethsemane. It was a 45-minute journey from where they ate the Passover meal in Jerusalem. They're walking to this garden. It's dark. The light of the moon is illuminating Jesus' face. And as they're walking to the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus looks at him and he says, in a little while, you're not going to see me any longer. He says, you're not going to be able to see me and touch me and hear my voice the way that you have. And the disciples are absolutely devastated because the only idea that they had for following Christ was to walk with them. They had no construct for a Christianity that was possible apart from the presence of a living God. And so it's in the midst of their sorrow as they're walking to the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus looks at these disciples and he says, I have 45 minutes left with you and this is what I want to share. I just want you to think about this for a moment. If, if somebody walked in this room today and they said, Danielle, you've got 45 minutes left. That's all you have. What do you want to tell the people you love and know and walk with the most? You have 45 minutes. What do you want to share? Can you imagine how significant the words that you would choose would be? And it's in the midst of this moment, Jesus knows 45 minutes left until he gets to Gethsemane and he's gonna pray all night and then they're gonna take him to the cross. And this is the conversation. And Jesus says, if I only have to talk to you about one thing, this is what I wanna talk about. It is the Holy Spirit. He says, the Spirit of God is coming into your lives. And as he comes into your lives, things are going to get better. I'm going to do more in your heart. I'm going to do more in your life than you could have possibly imagined. So for the last couple of weeks, we've kind of journeyed through this. And as, if I was going to sum up these three chapters in one sentence, it would be this, that Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, because of the Spirit, you're not getting less of God. You're actually getting all of God and you will be able to participate in, in the real work of God right here and right now. Jesus looks at these disciples and he says, you're going to get to keep participating in the life of God because the Holy Spirit is getting ready to come. And so a few weeks ago, we wrestled with this question. And I really want you to think about this because if the words of Jesus are true, and I really believe that they are, if, if Jesus is a truth teller, then it should drastically change not only the way that we gather, but the way that we scatter. It should not only change what we expect when we worship, it should change the way that we see our lives and the story that God is writing all over the world around us. A lot of us, especially if you grew up in, in church, and even if you didn't, there's this tendency to gather in a place like this on a Sunday morning and to believe that your primary responsibility as a follower of Jesus 
is to preserve a fading memory of what life was like when God was still here. And maybe you've never said it this way, but some of your lives, some of your religious experiences have been nothing more than the preservation of a fading memory. And so you gather and some guy like me stands up and he opens up a book like this and he tells stories about what God used to be like and what God used to do. And we sing songs about what God was and who God is and what God, what's happening. And, and there's this tendency for a lot of us to gather in places like this and to reduce our followership of Jesus to nothing more than the preservation of a fading memory of what life used to be like when God was here. But Jesus looks at the disciples and says, in a little while, you're gonna see me no longer. You won't be able to touch me the way that you do now, but you're not getting less of God, you're getting all of God. And when the spirit of God comes, your life will not be about the preservation of a fading memory. You will be joining me in the kingdom of God as we make new memories. Because the spirit is still here, the spirit is still moving, the spirit is still leading. And the question is, do we believe that Jesus is a truth teller? I remember my senior year in college, I got offered a job as kind of my dream job, at least at that point in my life. And the one stipulation for getting that job was that I had to finish, uh, I had to graduate a semester sooner than I had planned on. And so instead of going home to Charleston for the summer, like I'd planned to hang out with Sydney and my family and to enjoy the beach and to do all of those things, I had to stay in Nashville and take 17 hours of classes so I could graduate early. And uh, of the 17 hours I had to take, 12 of them were electives, which meant I could take any class I wanted. And so I thought, man, if they're gonna make me take summer school, I'm gonna pick a really easy course. That's what I'm going to do. And so that July, I took five PE classes and uh, thought, that's why I'm in such amazing physical shape. If you've ever wondered, it's the five PE classes from 10 years ago. And one of those classes was racquetball. And I loved playing racquetball. I was really good at it. If you ever want to be beaten racquetball, just ask me. I'll come gladly stomp you in racquetball, JK. And so I loved playing this game. And I thought, you know, what, what, how amazing would this be for school? And so we show up for the first day for racquetball class. And teacher walks us in and she shows us the, the racquetball courts and these are the dimensions and this is where we're going to play. And then she walked us out of the racquetball court, out of the gymnasium, into this academic building to the third floor where we sat in this room with a single window overlooking this beautiful green pasture. And for three weeks, I kid you not, every day we gathered in that little room with one window and read a book about racquetball. This was our racquetball class. We read about the history of racquetball and we read about the grip of racquetball and we read about the, what it would be like if you actually played racquetball. And then there was this moment where like God intervened and the last week of school, she brings in a racket and she said, who wants to play the game? And we're like, well, we, we, we wanna play the game. Like it's so much better to play the game than to just read the stupid book. And I, I was thinking about that this week going, man, so many of us, have reduced following Jesus to sitting in a classroom with a single window, listening to the stories and the history about what life is like for those that played the game. And Jesus is talking to these disciples about the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, you are not preservationists of fading memories. You're revolutionaries. I'm sending you the Spirit of God to participate in the life of God right here and right now. Do you want more? And if Jesus is telling the truth, it drastically changes the posture with which we came in this morning. I wonder how many of us came in this morning going, Monday, I don't know what it's gonna be like, but Monday will be different. Why? Because we're gathered with the people of God and the Spirit of God is here. See, my inclination is that most of us don't expect tomorrow to be different at all because we expect today to be really nothing more than the preservation of an old memory. And I go, no, God is here. <laughs> 
And Jesus looks at the disciples in the midst of their sorrow. He says, you're not getting less of me, you're getting all of God. And you get to John chapter 16 as Jesus is wrapping up this 45-minute conversation on the road to Gethsemane in the midst of the dark. He stopped in the vineyard. He's telling them about, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You're gonna bear fruit through me. And you get to the end of John chapter 15 and Jesus says, I wanna give you a snapshot for what your life would look like if the Spirit of God would have his way in you. And I want you to jump with me down to the end of John chapter 15. We're gonna start in verse 26. These are the verses that we ended with last week. I love this. Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, the one whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, the one who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the very beginning. And so Jesus is walking with these disciples, and as he gets ready to come into the last part of the conversation, he kind of gives them his thesis statement. If you ever wrote grad papers in grad school, you know that a good paper starts with a thesis, and Jesus kind of starts with a thesis. He says, let me help you see the big idea here. He said, when I leave, the Spirit of God is going to come into your life. And from here on out, you're going to partner with the Holy Spirit to testify to the goodness of who I am in the world all around you. God is gonna do something amazing. I don't know if you write in your Bibles or underline or highlight, but you should underline this word testify. It's just like a really powerful word that pops up all throughout the Gospel of John. It literally means to become living proof of someone or something. So you think about in a courtroom setting, in a murder trial, the person, the witness that's called to testify is just living proof of the facts of the evidence. They're there to say, hey, look at my life. You'll see that this is true. And all throughout the Gospel of John, over and over and over, Jesus uses this word testify about himself. He says, I'm here to testify to the nearness and the goodness of God. In other words, Jesus says, Aaron, you can see me, you can touch me, you can feel me, you know that God is God because I am here. And Jesus was living proof that God was good and that God was near. And I love this moment because Jesus is telling the disciples, he says, when the Holy Spirit of God fills your life, you will become for the world what I have been for you. And so for three years, Jesus was living proof for the disciples that God was good and that God was near. And then the Holy Spirit was gonna fill these disciples and all of a sudden these disciples were gonna become living proof for the world that God was good and that God was near. And Jesus is getting ready to give them this picture of what it looks like to have a spirit-filled life. And he says, listen, this isn't some abstract metaphorical reality Here's what you need to know. Because of the Holy Spirit, the world is gonna see me because they've seen you. When the world sees your life, those of you that are following Jesus that are full of the Spirit, when the world sees you, they see Jesus because the Spirit of God is alive and well within you. And so there's this moment where Jesus kind of drops this beautiful truth on these disciples and you can almost imagine them. They're like, yes, like, this, is, this is amazing. And then Jesus kind of slams the brakes on. He says, but let me help you understand what this actually means. Because a spirit-filled life is not always gonna involve you standing in the back on a Sunday morning, singing and dancing with nobody looking. He says, to, to have a spirit-filled life means that you, you actually have my life. And, and I love the, the picture that Jesus paints in John 16. I don't know if you take notes, but I, I just kinda want you to notice the movement that Jesus is gonna take us to. He's gonna say this spirit-filled life is gonna be a very hard life. It is gonna be a very good life. And it is gonna be a deeply relational life. He says it's gonna be a, a very hard life, it is gonna be a very good life, and it is gonna be a deeply relational life. And Jesus, in the tenderness of his friendship towards these disciples, stops on the road to Gethsemane and he says, let me paint a picture. This is what happens when the Spirit of God would seize your life. We're gonna start John chapter 16, verse one. 
We're going to get in. Are you guys with me this morning? You awake? You here? Here we go. John chapter 16, verse 1. He says, all of these things I've told you so that you would not fall away from your faith. They'll put you out of the synagogue. That was kind of their version of church in their day amongst the Jewish people. In fact, there's a time coming when anyone who kills you will think that they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I have warned you about them. And I did not tell you this from the very beginning because I was still with you. Now, I want us to just admit something for a moment. Can we all just admit that Jesus is the worst salesman? that Jesus really needs new PR. It's like, okay, Jesus, you're getting ready to leave and this is the final message? You should've gone with the God so loves the world thing. Like maybe you could've come up with something a little lighter, something that would've tickled the heart, the emotions, the ears. These are Jesus's parting words to the disciples before the cross. He says, listen, he says, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. You're gonna have this spirit-filled life, but it's gonna be really hard. He says, when you follow me, when the Spirit of God fills your life, People are gonna reject you. They're gonna kick you out of the synagogues. In fact, they're gonna murder you. I mean, can you imagine this? Peter's like, okay, I wonder what the word for murder is in Greek. Surely Jesus isn't being serious here. And Jesus is like, no, it means murder. They're gonna murder you. This is gonna be really hard. This is like the parting message of Jesus Christ to these disciples. He says, listen, I'm sending the Spirit and as the Spirit of God fills your life, the Spirit is gonna lead you to live the very life that I have lived. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way or not. Maybe you've thought about this for years, but I really want you to hear this. There is no clearer picture of a spirit-filled life than the life of Jesus Christ. Nobody was more full of the Holy Spirit and nobody walked in more perfect submission to the leading of the Holy Spirit than Jesus Christ himself. And my question is, what did Jesus's life look like as he was being led by the Holy Spirit? I started thinking about that this week and I went, man, the life of Jesus was really, really hard. Do you remember what happened the day he was filled with the Holy Spirit? You can go back and read this in Luke chapter three or Matthew chapter four. Jesus is baptized, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and what's the very first thing that the Spirit leads him to do? It leads him into the desert to be tempted by the enemy. It says that Jesus comes out of the temptation strong, he doesn't sin, it says he went into the desert led by the Spirit, he walks out of the desert in the strength of the power of the Spirit. And what's the very next thing that the Holy Spirit leads Jesus to do in Luke chapter four? He goes into his hometown to Nazareth and he preaches his first sermon. Can you imagine how epic it would be to be there for Jesus' first sermon in his hometown synagogue? He stands up and he preaches his first sermon. And, And how did it go? Do you remember the story? They actually drug him out of the pulpit. They took him to a cliff. They wanted to throw him off and murder him. Even his own family was in on it because they thought he was so nuts. So the Holy Spirit's two for two. Filled Jesus, he's led him into the desert. He's led Jesus to be rejected by his family. Then Jesus, the very next thing, Luke chapter four, picks his disciples, he prays all night. The spirit leads him to choose 12 disciples, one of whom will kill him, all of whom will abandon him. And so the spirit has now led him to these flaky friends. And then the spirit leads him to live this homeless, nomadic lifestyle. And then the spirit leads him to the cross where he dies by himself as the soldiers are gambling for his only remaining possessions, the bloodstained clothes that had been ripped off his back. And I go, look at where the spirit led Jesus. Is it possible that the spirit-filled life will take us in the same direction? See, I would propose that there is no spirit-filled life without spirit-filled suffering. 
There's no spirit-filled life without the journey that Jesus himself would take. And the truth is, so many of us want the spirit that indwelt Jesus, but we don't want the life that Jesus had. And there's this moment where Jesus stops with his disciples and he says, I just want to tell you the truth. He says, you're going to testify to me, to the world. He says, but this weight of testifying, of becoming living proof, is not always going to be super easy. And if you're looking for something super easy, you might as well hit the eject button now. But Jesus says, I'm telling you this so that when life gets hard, you don't fall away. One of the things that I hate so much, and you've heard this in what I would call false preaching, where people say, man, if you're just walking with the Spirit, everything's good. And I go, no, it's not. No, it's not. Sometimes when you're walking with the Spirit, it's really, really hard. And sometimes it's literally Jesus himself putting your feet in his footpath, like right, right behind him. You remember that passage, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, where Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I love that verse until you get to the very next sentence. And he says, and I want to be just like him, sharing in the fellowship of his suffering and being like him in his death. And I go, are any of us like that? Do, do any of us want that side of Jesus? And if if you're like me, I go, there's no part of me that wants that side of Jesus. It's what Paul though says in the very next verse, Philippians 3 verse 11, he says, not that I've already attained that. He says, but this is the journey that the Spirit of God has taken me on. And I think this is so important. Jesus, he says, listen, you're getting the Spirit. He's gonna indwell you. He's gonna lead you. He's gonna teach you. He's gonna guide you so that you may testify so that your life could become living proof. Do you want your life to become living proof for the goodness and the nearness of God? then it'll come with hardship. That's just the reality. And this is where he starts. He says the spirit-filled life is, is gonna be hard. He keeps going, though. jump down to verse five. The news does get better. He says, but now I'm going to him who has sent me and none of you ask where you're going. Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. It's like, of course they're filled with grief, Jesus. You just told them that they're gonna be murdered and rejected. Like, that's the, the worst pick-me-up ever. But look at what he says next, verse seven. He says, but I'm telling you the truth. It is for your good that I go away. Unless I go away, the Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because people do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regards to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So I love this moment. Jesus looks at his closest friends. He says, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. Your life is gonna be harder than you could have ever hoped for, but it is gonna be more wonderful than you could have ever imagined. And sometimes when we're sitting in brown plastic chairs in a classroom reading a book about what the game of racquetball is like, we forget that when you actually get into the sport when you're playing the game, that things can be both hard and good. You know, Sydney and I have two boys and we have a third who'll be born in three or four weeks whenever he decides to pop out. And one of the things that, I mean that funny, just whenever he comes, we'll, we'll gladly receive him. And one of the things when people ask us about parenting, you know, new parents are like, what is this journey of parenting like? And I always tell them the same things. The two most common words that I use, it is really hard and it is really good. Like parenting is the hardest thing we've ever done and it's the most rewarding, wonderful thing that we've ever been a part of. And those two things are not opposed to one another. In fact, so often they go hand to hand. Isn't it true that so often the things that bless you the most are the things that you had to work at the hardest? That marriage, this amazing blessing, can be really hard to, to work at sometimes. That your friends, your closest friends, like 
bring you the deepest blessings. Sometimes it's a real challenge. It's, a, it's something that you really have to work at. And so often the things that you enjoy the most actually cost you the very most. And there's this, this picture. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm offering you all of my life. I want you to have the life that I have, to do the things that I did. It's what we talked about a few weeks ago in John chapter 14. He says, what you see me doing, you will do these things and even greater, but it will be hard. But it won't just be hard. He says, it'll be good because when the spirit of God comes, the spirit of God is gonna go out before you and he is gonna do amazing work in the world in ways that you could never imagine so that you could testify towards my goodness. I think this is one of the things that I've so often missed. I've really misheard the words of Jesus here. Did you notice that Jesus said, it is the spirit's job to convict the world? That, that the spirit convicts of sin and judgment and righteousness? I'm convinced that so many of us, the reason we never put our feet in the racquetball court metaphorically speaking, is because we believe that the Spirit is calling us to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Spirit has not called you to convict the world. The Spirit has called you to testify to the goodness of the one who is ahead of you in the world. And so you don't, go in the, you don't have to go in the world going, man, you're a sinner. The, the, the Spirit of God convicts the world of sin. You go into the world testifying that you know the one that has dealt with all sin. We go into the world going, man, we, we know Christ. Are you a sinner? Fantastic. I know the one that deals with sin. Are you unrighteous? Fantastic. I know the one who is righteous. Are you under the bondage of the enemy? Fantastic. I know the one who has already judged the enemy. He stands condemned. And so often we are just neutered and feel neutralized in the kingdom of God because we misunderstand the commands of Jesus. He says, the spirit of God is coming. And although your life will be hard, it will be good because the Spirit will go before you and he will convict. He will do things amongst you in the world that you could never imagine. I remember a few years ago before we planted Ethos, uh, Sydney and I had this group of people in our house, 20 or 30 folks. Um, we kind of went around the room and we asked all of them, how long have you been a follower of Jesus? And in that room, there are people who had been following Jesus 20, 30, 40, 50 years. In fact, in that one room, we had almost 1,000 years of faith represented. It's kind of this like really inspiring moment, like, wow, you guys have been following the Lord for a long time. And so we asked a really simple question. We said, let's tell stories of people that have come to know Jesus through your life. If you have a story of bringing someone to Jesus, just tell the story. And in our minds, we're going, man, a thousand years of faith. I bet you there's gonna be hundreds of stories, like people that have partnered with God to testify to his goodness, that have seen God do amazing things. And you know what was amazing? In that little living room off of Shackleford Road, as we asked that simple question, Nearly a thousand years of faith represented, not a single person brought to Jesus outside of their own children. And I remember there's, there's this like conviction that weighed in the room. I remember just asking the question, I'm like, are we silent because you don't want to share? Or, and I remember just one of the guys on the room said, he said, no, I'm silent because I have nothing to testify about. He said, I've never partnered with the Spirit of God to share the glory of God with anybody. And some of you right now, you're maybe feeling what we all felt, the awkwardness in that little living room going, ah. And I go, man, the, the good news is your life is not done. And that God still wants to use you to testify to the greatness of Jesus. And the results are not on you. It's not your job to convict, it's your job to testify. And he says, listen, it's gonna be hard, but the spirit is gonna go and he's gonna do amazing things. I want to look at the last part of this. Jump down to verse 12 with me. It's not just going to be hard and it's not just going to be good. He says it's going to be deeply relational. I want you to notice how many aspects of Jesus' teaching here deal with relationship. 
He says, I have so much more to say to you, more than you can, you can now bear. You can almost imagine Jesus. He's like, we're running out of time. I've got so much I want to tell you. I love you so much. Your life is going to be so hard. Peter, they're going to crucify you. James, they're going to push you off the temple. John, they're going to exile you. You can imagine Jesus saying, there's so much that I want to tell you, and some of it's going to be hard. There's so much I want to tell you, and some of it's going to be really good. Like, Peter, you're, you're going to write a book, and 2,000 years later, there's going to be a group of people gathered in a bar in Nashville, Tennessee, that are going to study that book. And Peter's like, wait, what? What's a book? What's Nashville? And what do you mean? And, and Jesus is saying, you have no idea how I want to use your life. And I, I just want you to hear this. You have no idea how God wants to use your life to testify to the glory of God. There are people gathered on other continents 3,000 years from now who will be sitting in their spacesuits eating Dippin' Dots, you know, ice cream of the future. It's always <laughs> ice cream of the future. They're gonna be gathered in the future worshiping Jesus because of you. Because the Spirit of God wanted to do something through you. He says, there's so much more I wanna tell you, but I don't have time for it. Keep going, verse 13. He said, but when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only when he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive everything and he will make it known to you. All this belongs to the Father's mind and this is why I said the Spirit will receive from the Father and he will make it known to you. I want you to hear these amazing promises. Jesus is talking to these guys and I want you to see how deeply relational this pursuit of the Holy Spirit is because over and over and over, Jesus says the Holy Spirit is gonna guide you, he's gonna teach you, he's gonna speak to you. But every time, the word Je every time Jesus uses the word you, he's not talking to the individuals, he's actually talking to the community. He's talking to these 12 men that have been following him for a long time, for three years, and he says, just as I have been among you for three years, he says, my spirit is gonna work in unique ways among you as you gather. I think so often we miss the work of the Holy Spirit because we try to make it a solo endeavor, and we, we miss out on this reality that the Spirit of God, although he does fill us individually, he speaks to us uniquely as we gather corporately. Most of the weird, abusive stuff that happens in the name of the Holy Spirit happens because one man or one woman tries to hear God on their own and they never discern it in the context of a biblical community with the scriptures and with people that know the Lord as well. This has been one of the most important things for Sydney and I as God calls us into new adventures as we try to follow him in the kingdom right here and right now. There are moments when we go, man, we think God is speaking to us very clearly, but we don't trust our ability to hear and so there have been moments, you know, I see Amos, how often I'll call Amos. And in fact, last Sunday night, he and I were sitting in this stairwell just like praying and sharing and thinking. I go, I think I'm hearing God saying some things. Can we discern together? We open the word and we pray. And this is why we gather in house churches. And why we gather on Sundays because we know that our ability to hear God individually is so clouded by our own sin and our own brokenness. So I want you to see how deeply relational this is between the disciples and one another, but it's not just between them and the disciples, it's between them and God. Did you notice this? Look back at verses 12 through 15. Over and over and over, he says, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. He will guide you. He will uncover the mysterious things of God. Do you realize that today we are not preservationists of fading memories of what God has done. We are still walking in the ongoing revelation of who God is. This is what 1 Corinthians 2 verses 10 through 14 says. He says, listen, when you have the spirit of God in you, the Holy Spirit will search the mind of God and reveal the things of God to the community of God as they seek him in the person of Jesus Christ. 
And to think that right here and right now, Jesus is intimately seeking to speak into our lives. And I love this moment where Jesus is walking with his disciples and he says, listen, the spirit-filled life is yours for the taking. But if the spirit really begins to lead you, your life will start looking much more like mine. And that life will be really hard at times. It will be really good at times. And it will be more intimate and deeply relational than you could have ever hoped for. I was thinking about that this week. You know, Sydney and I got away we spent the day out of town praying, thinking, uh, meeting with some people. And there's kind of this conversation that was bubbling up amongst she and I. And I was just kind of asking myself the question in light of John 16 is, does my life really look anything like Jesus' life? Does your life look like Jesus' life? And I say that with love. Like, I'm just, like, really evaluating my life right now. I'm just, like, going, God, like, do people believe Christ is the real deal because they were in my presence? Do I do what Jesus did? Do I think as Jesus thought? Am I walking as Jesus walked? First John 2, verse 6, he says, if you're in Christ, you will live as Jesus lived. And I think the revelation that I kept thinking this week is, man, I've made some steps with the Lord, and by God's grace, the Spirit is leading me in continued obedience, but man, I am nowhere near near what God has made me for. And I would suspect if, if we're honest, I'd just encourage you this week to like really get before the Lord and just ask him, Lord, does my life look like Jesus' life? Because when the Spirit of God is in us and leading us, he will lead us into the deeper waters of participation with Jesus right here, right now, in the real world around us. Second question that I encourage you to think about that was equally convicting to me is not just does your life look like Jesus, but do you want your life to look like Jesus? I kept thinking this week, I thought, I really don't want my life to look like Jesus' life. That's just the most honest thing I know how to say to you on a Sunday morning. I know I'm up here preaching. I'm supposed to be the cheerleader, but sorry. <laughs> like, I, I don't. In, in theory, I kind of want my life to look like Jesus' life. I want the power of his resurrection. I do not want the fellowship of his suffering. I do not want to be like him in his death. I don't want to give my life to a community that's going to reject me. I don't want to go through the hardship of temptation. I don't want to die on a cross, metaphorically or physically. Like what I want is all of the benefits of Jesus' life without the road that got Jesus there. Like I want all that Jesus offers without actually having what Jesus had. And the truth is for me, I want the end of John 16 without the beginning. I want the intimacy, I want the friendship, I want all of it, but I don't want, it, don't want, want what it takes to get there. You know, Sydney and I got to hang with this couple on Tuesday um, that God's used in some amazing ways all over the world. And uh, they've spent most of their life working in countries where it's against the law to share the gospel. And so they've been arrested and beaten and persecuted pretty deeply in some ways. And they just have this tremendous relationship with God. I don't know if you've ever been around somebody like this, but when you're just with them, it's like that woman knows the Lord. Like this guy knows the Lord. They have a direct hotline. Like, you know, I, I want to be like them. And so I was asking him, I was like, hey, just like what has brought you into your relationship with the Lord like this? And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, three things have really shaped me in God. 
He said one is reading the Bible in the context of community by the power of the Holy Spirit. He said so. I spent a lot of time reading the word in community, letting the Holy Spirit do something. He said the second thing is praying by the power of the Holy Spirit in community. And I thought, okay, I like both of those, reading the word in community, praying. And he said, and, and he said, and the last one is suffering deeply in community by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he said, he said, you cannot know God deeply unless you go on the journey that Jesus, his son, went on himself. And I'm like, dang it. <laughs> Can you edit that? Do you have a fourth, like, equally helpful thing? And I, I go, this is, this, is, this is the journey. And I go, we're asking ourselves, going, God, we want to be used to testify towards you. We want you to use our lives so that people know Jesus is great. It's not going to come. The spirit-filled life does not come sitting in the classroom reading the book preserving the memories of what was. The spirit-filled life comes when we say, God, put our feet on the path that Jesus walked on. Even if it's hard, we know it's good. We know that you're with us. So I want to encourage you. I, I, we're going to take communion together here in just a second. I just want to encourage you, wherever you are in your journey, some of you are not experiencing the life of Jesus right now, and it's because uh, you're, you're faithless. And I, I want to say that like very carefully and clearly. I know we have agnostics and atheists. We have some of you in this room that are agnostics and atheists. You don't even know it. You've been in church so long, you're not sure um, that you don't believe in the Lord. And if, if you don't believe in the Lord, if you don't love Jesus, oh man, I hope you'll experience this here. There is no place on planet earth you're more welcome than here. We love you and you don't, you don't have to change your beliefs to be welcome here, okay? And so some of you, all the stuff we've talked about today sounds like nonsense. And I just want you to hear me. The spirit-filled life, it, it is only available to us as we surrender our lives to Jesus in faith towards his lordship, what he's done. And so some of you, this is not the story of your life yet uh, because there's a faith issue. And I just want to challenge you, whether it's today or this week, you know, wherever you're at, to call on the name of the Lord and say, Jesus, if you're real, would you save me? Would you reveal yourself to me to be baptized, to be filled with the spirit? Um, that is available to you today by the grace and the power of God. Um, and so some of you want more of the Holy Spirit and it's a faith issue. Some of you want more of the Holy Spirit and it's a fear issue. And this is kind of where Sydney and I are at right now and she and I have been talking about this so much. We go, we think God has so much more. We think there's so much more than reading a book and singing the songs. Like the God life is available right here, right now. Totally. It's gonna cost though. And there's this like, ah. And so often the cost tends to trump our calling. And there's this thing that, you know, the Lord keeps saying, come on, there's more. And she and I just like personally, we've just been wrestling. There's like fear in that. And I love, she said something like really beautiful to me this week. She said, let's just pray that God will give us faith strong enough to trump our fear. That God would just help faith and who he is to trump the fear. And some of you are right there. It's like, you know there's more God. And you're a Christian, and there's just this fear, and I go, oh, come on, keep walking. God's good, don't be scared. He loves you so much. Even when it's hard, he's good. He's there, <laughs> like, this is good. Some of you, it's not a faith issue, and it's not a fear issue. You're bearing fruit like crazy, and we praise God for you. And I go, man, would you have the courage this week to say, God, do whatever you gotta do. Keep taking me into deeper water so that you can bear more fruit. 
Think about the 800,000 people in our city that don't know the Lord. And I go, surely he wants to use you to do something about that. Surely he wants to use you to help testify. Think about the two billion people on planet Earth that don't know the Lord. Surely he wants to use you. It's not your job to convict the world. It's your job to testify to the one. And I go, man, may God use us to bear more fruit for his glory and our good. May he make us look more like Jesus. I want to pray for us. And then we'll take communion. If you want to give your life to the Lord today, you can. We're going to worship together. Father, I love you.